Sweat and tears, I done put a lot in You at the top, I'ma need the top spot then Pass the rock, half court shots Popping Bambino at the plate I'ma have to call my shot then Breaking news, any league that you watching Pop culture, Mr. Green got him flocking Start a pot, start a pot, start a pot, start a pot then Start a pot, start a pot, start a pot then Welcome back to another episode of the Stir the Pop podcast. This is episode six. First off, I'd like to say thank you to everybody that bought a shirt. The shirts were printed this weekend, so we're going to start getting those out to you guys this upcoming week. I'm super excited about that, and I'm super grateful for everybody that bought a shirt. We we bought 75 shirts, not knowing how many orders or what we were going to have, and We've already sold 70 shirts, and I'm going to keep three for myself, so we're essentially sold out, so shout out to you guys. I appreciate all the support. It means the world to me. You guys have no idea, but to get to the show in this episode, I did an interview with a music producer out of Houston, Texas, Aston Harris, or better known as Apex Martin. Apex is signed to Mike Dean's label, MWA, and if you know anything about rap or hip-hop, or especially Houston rapper hip-hop, you know who Mike Dean is. And Apex has worked and produced for some really big-time rappers in the game. He's worked with Travis Scott, Kanye West, PNB Rock, Smoke Perp, Ty Dolla Sign, Maxo Cream, 24 Hours, and Vic Mensa, just to name a couple. So I'm really excited for you guys to hear this interview. So let's get to it. So I got my boy Apex on the phone right now. Apex, how you doing, man? Yeah, always, bro. I appreciate you coming on, bro. Thank you for having me. Uh, no problem, man. I kind of just want to get you know where it all started from. And Apex, just when did you start producing music? How did you start producing music? Like, how did you get involved in it? I first really made a beat when I was I was just at the crib. I remember seeing my uncle when I was younger uh, on the FL, and I never really like asked him how to do it or anything. I just saw him, and one day I got into just watching YouTube videos of just niggas. I think it was the Magna Carta Holy Grail album, like all those rollout videos where it was like Trav, Cooking Up, Pharrell, uh, Timbaland, and just seeing these dudes in the studio just vibing with Jay-Z, and I was like, damn, this shit looks crazy. Like, I know I'm not going to be no rapper, but I could do this. So I just like I got the the um the demo version basically the FL and I was just making ideas. So you couldn't even save the project file. I was just making ideas, like exporting them, just getting ideas off. And that probably explains how I cook up now, but that's where it started. That was probably like what sophomore year of high school, freshman year of high school. I was gonna say because I remember in high school you you started producing and you even you know you had a couple beat tapes that like went viral pretty much overseas. What was that like having stuff? Like, so early when you first started being liked by people? Uh, it was good, but it was awesome. I don't know. It was good. It was, it was crazy. Like, being on, like, the radio in the UK and then, like, the, the, my, my first, like, my subtitled YouTube, that's basically what got me, like, looked at by, like, shit, like, like, Sycamore, like, the whole Cactus Jack team, which wasn't the Cactus Jack, it was, like, XX. And, like, shit, from there, I just knew, like, 
I was doing something right. So I don't know. It kind of it gave me some confidence that I probably needed early on to like continue to get better with time. After high school, I know you went to college at UTSA, and you were there for a year or some some change. So what was it? Just that confidence of already seeing that you know people liked what you were doing and they wanted more to like give you the confidence to say, hey, I'll put this degree on hold and try and go pursue this music shit or what? I ain't even gonna lie, bro. I went to school just because my mom wanted me to. I, I didn't apply to no schools. Like, my mom made me. Like, she hired the tutors, all that shit. Like, she paid niggas to, like, like help me submit, like, these whatever applications. And I, I did not, I didn't even want to get in. So damn near, I was trying to fuck them up. <laughs> I kind of fuck up the, the applications, bro. I didn't want to take the SAT, the ACT. I didn't want to take none of them shits. I had to. My mom dragged me to them shits. So, like, really, college was just a, it was a time for me to buy time because I knew I didn't want to go to school. Like, I was like, nigga, I'm about to be stuck in this hole because I do not, I'm not going to make myself go to class. Like, I knew I didn't want to just stay in the age and work a job. So, like, bro, I don't know what I'm about to do. So, I'm going to just go to school. You know what I'm saying? Like, shit, party, live some life, like, see some other shit outside of Houston for a second, and, like, hopefully I can figure it out from there. But really, I took a break when I got to school, bro. Like, I was in a frat and shit. Like, I wasn't on the beach for, like, the first year I was there. Mm -hmm. Like, and, but I, like, then shit just didn't work out with the frat. Like, I was like, why the fuck am I paying dues? Like, I'm paying for friends, essentially. You know what I'm saying? And parties, access to parties, like, and, like, from then, I was just like, all right, I got to go back to this beat shit. Because this is the only thing in my life that every time I get distracted, I just come back to the beats. So I, I just had to, I had to do it. I ain't going to lie. I just had to do it. Get evicted from my apartment. I was like, they finna lock me out anyway. So I just packed my shit. I, bro, I, you know what I'm saying? Did a little whoop whoop, get some money. Then I, I bought a spare flight and just dipped. <laughs> <laughs> nah, man. Got to do what you got to do, bro. And I, yeah. and I commend you for that, bro, because you knew what you wanted to do. And shit, I mean, you're doing it right now, man. So hats off to that. Thank you so much. Nah. So, I mean, what was, like like you said, you you got the flight. You can't, where, where'd you go? You went to the H or what? Nah, nigga, I was in San Antonio. So I just bought the spirit flight straight to LA, bro. <laughs> so, so what was it like once you got out, when, when, you know, once you touched down out there? I, shit, I was in Corona. I was in Corona, California with like private club and shit. Just like working with 24, like sleeping on the couch trying to figure it out like I didn't know what I was doing I just knew I saw that niggas was fucking with 24 shit and that was the first time I had ever collabed with an artist really because I was hella sensitive and I'm still sensitive to this day about who gets on my beats like I don't just give beats to everybody and that's probably why my like my incline is like gradual and not like hella fast but I just I'm hella picky about who I want like on my discography like when I die, yeah. like, I don't like everybody just had had an A face be like this shit gotta be, you know what I'm saying? So I just knew that niggas was listening to 24. I was producing the whole shit, so I was like, shit, might as well slide. I was just gonna figure it out. I didn't really have a plan. I ain't gonna lie. No. I still don't have a plan. I'm just doing it, like making it up as I go. Honestly, the organic way. One thing I'm curious about is what was you know that transition from working with you know 24 in Tokyo to when you started talking to Mike Dean and how did that all come about and what was that like for you? It was basically just, bro, I just felt like I, I had I had to do more. It was more I wanted to do. But Mike, 
Mike really on the on the load had been trying to sign me. Like that was like the third time I came back to him at that time. Like, yo, you still trying to sign me? Cause like the nigga was trying to sign me. Like before t- me and Tony, I probably even knew who Tokyo or Twenty Four was. Mike was trying to sign me, and like I just was like, how much? And the bag just wasn't what I wanted to hear. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like little did I know, the bag that you get is you gotta recoup it. So it really don't even matter. It's an advance. Like at the end of the day. You don't need no big ass advance if you ain't worked with nobody. But I didn't know that. I just was looking at the money like, now I need more money. Nigga, how I'm supposed to survive? I'm trying to live in LA, like all the shit in my head. You know what I'm saying? And literally, I don't know. That time was the time where I was like, yo, like, I feel like there's no way for me to grow anymore here. So like, we gotta figure something out. Like, he from the age, I'm from the age, like, nigga, been in my ear because I had been worked on rodeo, so the nigga knew who I was, like. This is already like we was cool. We're obviously this is not like oh geez, like damn near my second dad now. But like back then it was just like I looked up to him crazy, like, you know what I mean? So it was never it never crossed my mind that I would like like not do a situation with Mike. Like I always wanted to sign to Mike, honestly. Do you think you know, having him sign you and like you said, him pretty much just being like someone you could look up to is something you kinda needed? Hell yeah, bro. That nigga guides me through everything, bro. Just like maneuvering, like through this game, and like we be teaching each other shit. But he's taught me way more shit, like especially like socially. Like he's letting me know, like just be chill. Like it's not about not being liked. Like you want people to like you, it'll be easier for you. Like you want people to fuck with you. You know what I'm saying? Because your music is good, but you want people to fuck with you. Like you don't want people to not want to fuck with you because when they bring up your name, you don't want negative things being said about you. And that's like the real shit anybody's ever taught me. You know what I mean? That's like got me where I'm now. Cause I'm just I'm just chilling. I'm just cooking up. I'm not really with the extras. Like I just I stay out the way. I'm on my business. I make my beats. You fuck with me, I'm gonna fuck with you. You know what I'm saying? Like it's very simple. And I like that from him. Like on top of a lot of other shit. That's dope. And I mean, was. Was him being from Houston, was that a big thing? You know, y'all both coming from the city? Hell yeah, bro. That's like, that's everything. Like, cause like, hearing about like him and Trav, like, that's like what inspired him to go to. Like, you know what I'm saying? Young nigga, literally from the south side of Houston, fucking with OG, Mike Dean. Like, you know what I mean? Like, this nigga done worked with everybody. This nigga literally, like, like help structure the whole Houston sound, like from Scarface to fucking with Pimp C to like all these niggas, you know what I'm saying? Like he's introduced me to Bun B nigga. Like I met so many niggas, just legends, like in the city because of like, like I remember I met Chris Paul, like, <laughs> you know what I mean? When he's on the Rockets, it's just shit like that. Nigga didn't even know who Chris Paul was. I had to tell him who Chris Paul was. <laughs> He could just be in his world, bro. So you know, now you're signed with Mike Dean. But what was it like coming up in the city of Houston, trying to be a producer? You know, talking to some people. Some people say bigger artists out of Houston don't like to show love to up up and coming artists. Like, what would you what do you have to say about that? I feel like that's not even fully their responsibility. Honestly, I feel like at the end of the day, if you're gonna push boundaries and you're gonna make an for yourself, you gotta you gotta figure that shit out. Cause niggas not gonna fully respect you to like you in their face, like you at the same places as them. You know what I'm saying? To you at the Grammys next to them. Like that's when a nigga gonna be like, all right, I see this nigga. You know what I mean? Like like I niggas was tipping their hats off of me like low key after the yay shit. Like that's when I first got the taste of all right, niggas see what's up. Like they know I'm not on no bullshit and I'm not like a fan. Like a nigga really cooking like I'm in this hole, you know what I mean? Like, I done sat with legends, so at, at the end of the day, I'm not really worried about, like, 
gaining like support for like I feel like all Texas people should want to support each other at the end of the day. But if you don't, everybody's different. So I mean, you just touched on it, and I'm I'm really curious about it as well. What was that whole process of working on Ye like? I mean, was Kanye somebody that you had looked up to as a kid? Did you like his music? What was it like getting to work with him? If you could just talk about that a little bit. I think it was how, when I first started fucking with Kanye shit is because Wayne had went to jail. Lil Wayne was my favorite rapper. Like, I used to burn CDs and sell them. I was like a crocker. Oh, God. And <laughs> went to jail, bro. That shit sucked. And I had no, there was no Wayne music for like a whole year. So like I had got hit to Kanye. I think that's when I first heard it. Always when I first heard it, I was like, "What the fuck is this?" And like it grew on like over a month's time. And then I started going back to the old discography. And then like from then on, I was a Ye fan, you know. So that's where it all like started. And then seeing like how Ye had Trav next to him and shit, I was like, "All right, like Ye, know what's up?" And like even Houston and Kanye had always had that connection because that's how him and Mike Dean. Like, first met, he came down to fuck with, like, Scarface and all them niggas. And Mike was there engineering and working on music. And that's how they looked up. And then, yeah, started having Mike work on his shit from the beginning. You know what I mean? So, but I always knew I was going to work with Kanye one day. Like, I was always the biggest Kanye fan for sure. Really, bro, I didn't even meet him until after, like, the whole shit. Like, that, that, like, shit was a sample chop that I gave. I gave Mike and he fucking alley-ooped that hoe. You know what I mean? I didn't even know I was on an album to the day before. So, like, really, he FaceTimed me and was like, yo, listen to this. You know what I'm saying? And I'm stressing. I'm trying to cook up this whole time. And I gave this nigga this loop, like, months before. So this really taught me the lesson of not stressing shit. Because when you stress shit, you're going to stress shit, like, at least twice if you stress about it. You might as well just not worry about it because you're not going to worry about it if it happens or if it doesn't happen at the end of the day. You know what I mean? If that makes sense. Mm-hmm. So literally, the nigga FaceTimed me talking about, like, listen to this. I think he was with, like, Chance the Rapper, too. It was, like, him, Chance, like, Malik Yusuf. They was all in the room. He played the shit. And all I heard was his sis at first. And then I heard, like, my, mm, eh, eh, the sample shop. And I was like, nah. He was like, yeah, we out of here. It's shit crazy. Uh, what was crazy is I had heard the version without my shit, the one that had Drake on it before that. And I didn't know that it was the same song. He didn't even tell me that shit. So it was crazy when I heard that version. And, I got flew out the next day to the listening party and got to experience all that shit. They put me in a big ass cabin. Like that shit was crazy. I was gonna say I remember seeing videos and pictures and stuff. What was it like being out there? That shit looked crazy. Nigga, everything was free, nigga. Free, free merch, free that nigga Kanye just he's giving, bro. It's free merch, free, free liquor, nigga, free food. Like all your favorite people are just there. Like nigga, you look one way, it's Seth Rogan, you look another way, it's Chris Rock or it's two chains, dog or Nigga, like, me and Scott Dizzy taking shots. Like, that shit was crazy. <laughs> like, that shit was so crazy. So that, I remember that week being the week. Like, I was like, damn, I want my whole life to be like this week. You know what I mean? This nigga, I came from there to, like I said, I didn't even meet Kanye until after Yikes. Like, I didn't even meet him at the party. Like, I met him when I when we came back to L.A. And they started working on Kitsy Ghost. And that was the first time I met him. And, like, picked my brain. And, like, I played on beats and shit. It's just, yeah, it's cool. That nigga lit, bro. That nigga lit. He a legend for sure. Growing up, what you know, you told everybody how you felt about Kanye. Was he your dream collab? And if you had another one, I know, like you said, you are sensitive. You don't want just anyone to be on an apex beat. So, do you have a dream collab, or are you just gonna let it flow and whatever comes and you know catches your eye? That's what you're gonna rock with. Uh, to say I don't have a dream collab would be cap. I don't know. It'll probably be probably be Drake. 
or maybe some some new trap. There's some new trap, but I ain't chasing shit. I'm just cooking up. You know what I'm saying? Niggas want to fuck with me, they can fuck with me. You seen what happened when a nigga link up with a legend with your top ten? Yeah, no, for real. That shit was so hard. I know when I first heard it, I was I was going crazy. So I could only imagine y'all were out there with the fire and everything. I mean, what was that like when you first heard it around everyone else and you saw the reaction on everyone else's face? You know, the celebrities and stuff rocking out to it. Yeah, dumb hard. That shit was crazy as fuck. So I had never heard the song until then. Really, I'd only heard like 20 seconds. I didn't even really hear that on quality so. I'm in, out there and he has stadium speakers in the field so like it was crazy we were on the fire I'm standing next to Kanye and Kim K like this shit was crazy as fuck like Lil Yachty was there too I think I saw Big Sean like it was just crazy seeing everybody turn up to that shit in real time you know what I mean vibing never would have went to Wyoming if it wasn't for that shit and that's like the the richest like I think that's like the richest snowboarding and skiing location Jackson Hole Wyoming like that's like the shit bro when you got back from Wyoming and you know, yay, you had dropped and like, what was what was your next move? What what did you have your sights set on? I know you had it was a little bit later, but you executive produced Smoke Perp's album. But like, what was the in between between those two projects? I was just, bro, I was just trying to get better and really like soak up more game. Yeah, just get better, really, because like I don't even. I think I don't think the first fully produced beat by me to ever come out was until Smoke Bird. So like I feel like I was just building up until that point trying to get full beats produced by Apex out there as opposed to like giving niggas this piece and then building around it and be adding to this this song like I want it full produced by Apex Martin shit. So I don't know. When I came back I just kinda tried to like go away and just cook up, like cook up, cook up, get better. And then I ended up linking with Perp because me and him really connected around the Kanye shit because he had did I Love It and he saw I did Yikes. But we had already been cool before that because when I was living at Mike's crib, I was like, yo, you got to fuck with this kid, Smoke Perp. And he literally had him pull up the next day and then me and Perp. <laughs> like, I always had Perp's number. And then Perp had FaceTime me one day. I was at like Starbucks and he was like, yo, I need you to work on my album. Like, this is like 2018. Like, I'm not knowing it's going to take a year, you know what I'm saying? I'm thinking it's about to be some, like, fast shit. <laughs> but me and him became friends, and we didn't even make music for, like, the first, I don't even know, two months. He just had me flying everywhere with him, like, peeping everything that's going on in his life. And just like, we became friends, and then we started cooking up. So, really, in between, then I was just traveling, seeing more shit, like, living life, trying to... I guess gain more inspiration because once you my biggest goal was Kanye so once I had knocked it out it was kind of like what the fucking what's next like I gotta do something is it important for you to have like good relationships with people you work with like is it hard to find good relationships in the industry Uh, not for me because I'm not working with you if I don't fuck with you um, it's not ever it's never ever gonna be that deep to where I'm gonna be in the same room with somebody I don't fuck with. Like we gotta, we obviously gotta be on the same accord if we gonna fuck with each other. Otherwise, the music's not even gonna be good. <laughs> so, nah, it's not. It's it's hard if if you just you know do whatever because then you gotta deal with whatever. But if I, I control my environment, so I don't really deal with bullshit. Well, shit, I got that one last question for you, bro. And that's just where where do you want to be in five to ten years, and where where could you see yourself? 
five years. I see myself touring on my own Apex tour. Probably, not even probably, arena level tours. First nigga that's a producer to do that shit, for sure. Ten years, I need to see myself probably in a yacht in the Mediterranean or some shit. Just, <laughs> like, working on, I don't know, somebody crazy album. I don't know. Somebody's crazy album. On my own shit. Ten years is crazy, bro. I'll be fucking, yeah. That's probably where I'll be. Off the coast of, like, Italy or some shit. Working on my album. I mean, yeah, spread it up. That's what's up. And you're working on your own album right now? Yeah, yeah. Actively, actively as I work on everybody else's that I'm working on, I'm working on my own. So, kind of, like, try to take a song, make a song with this person. Or make a couple songs with this person. Whichever one they like, or the ones they like the most they can have. And then just figure something out for my shit. But, like, yeah, I'm... I'm not rushing it, like, it's no rush, because I want to release my, my shit when niggas can really live the music. I feel like we can't even live the music right now, so no rush. Is this going to be, like, straight beats, or are you going to have, like, people on there, like, real songs, people rapping and stuff? So, a show, artists on there, and and visuals to go with them, so That's what's it'll up. be a real thing. Do you find yourself in a spot where it may be hard to pick artists to go on your album? Like, I feel like that would be tough. No, not at all. Picking, nah, nah. Because I like all my shit. I don't make bad beats. I would just fuck with niggas that I know is going to go crazy. Well, shit. Apex, bro, I appreciate you coming on the show, man. This was dope. I appreciate you for having me, bro. No problem, bro. And if you want to let the people know where they can, like, follow you on socials and shit like that, let them know. Uh, shit. Follow me on Instagram at Apex Martin. L-A-P-E-X-M-A-R-T-I-N. And shit. Where we going? That's what's up. Shit, bro. I appreciate it, fam. My guy. I saw on social media in these past couple days that really just it kind of just rubbed me the wrong way was when Maverick Carter and LeBron James were on their uninterrupted network and they started talking about how LeBron James during the 2011 NBA lockout year was training more so than he ever had before to be an NFL football player and that He had actually spoke with teams and that Jerry Jones, the owner of the Dallas Cowboys, actually offered him a contract. And Maverick Carter and LeBron James said that LeBron has that framed in his house, in his office on the wall. And just some of the things that they were saying were just so off the wall. And I just it just rubbed me the wrong way. This man, LeBron James, said we started doing more football workouts. We started doing more bench press and running more 40-yard dashes. And that's just where I lost it. No one says they're training for the NFL except through the draft process and they're running 40-yard dashes. No NFL player that's been in the league will ever run a 40-yard dash again after they do on their combine and pro days. That's not how you train to be a football player. That's how you get tested to see how much of an athlete you are. And to say you're running 40 yards at a sprint and that's training to be a football player just proves how naive you are. Just because you run a 40-yard dash over and over again, it doesn't mean you're training to become a football player. And just for the two exercises that they brought up, I know I'm nitpicking here, 
But when you tell me you're training to become a football player and the exercises you're doing are adding more bench press reps and sets to your workouts and you're running 40-yard dashes, that's almost disrespectful to the people that are in the NFL and have worked their whole life to get there. I don't know. It just rubbed me the wrong way. I didn't like it. I'm not saying LeBron James couldn't be an NFL player. I'm sure he could have. He's 6'9", 250 to 265. He'd be a great tight end. He'd be a great receiver, sure. But how would he respond when he went across the middle and got hit one time in that midsection? Would he get up? I don't know. Sometimes you just got to be a different beast to play football, and especially in the NFL, the most physical league in the world. It's just crazy for me to hear things like Doc Rivers say that LeBron James could have been the best football player ever. Just disrespectful. I'm not saying the guy is not athletic enough to do so. We know that. Just watch him play the way he attacks the rim. It's vicious. He has a freight train like style to him. No one wants to get in front of LeBron James. But that doesn't make you a good football player. There's so much more to being a football player than running fast, jumping high, lifting weights, running 40-yard dashes. I don't know. It just rubbed me the wrong way. And as a fan and someone that breathes eats, sleeps, football, I can only imagine how disrespectful it is to the people that gave their all and their life to be in the NFL and the ones that didn't make it and did make it to hear such a preposterous statement like that. The whole convo was just corny to me. I don't get it. It's just the thing about LeBron to me, it's always it's always about him. He's always trying to put the attention on him. He wants to be in the spotlight. I'm not saying the guy hasn't done amazing things for the community because he has. It just seems like he wants all of the attention all the time. Like, I don't know. Something about LeBron just sometimes rubs me the wrong way. I know some people say I'm a LeBron hater. I don't think of myself like that. I love watching the guy play. He's probably the second best player ever to lace up the shoes and play on the hardwood. I just, just because I don't think he's the best ever, that makes me a hater somehow. I don't know. And I guess because I don't agree with everything that he does off the court, that makes me a hater too. And just because sometimes I will point out things he's done on the court that gives me reason to believe that he's not the best player ever, and that makes me a hater. I didn't know telling the truth made you a hater. I don't know. Like, it doesn't make you a hater to say he lost in the 2011 finals and averaged 18 points per game and it was the worst playoff series he's ever played in. No, that's a fact. That doesn't make you a hater. Just the LeBron apologists and the LeBron sexual sometimes are too much for me. I can't, I don't even want to, I don't even like to engage in debate or an argument or talk with them about LeBron James because they are so one sided and they make the people look and feel and seem that are on the opposite side of their beliefs are haters. And it just doesn't make sense to me. I don't get it. They're way too defensive. You can say LeBron James is the second best player ever and you're a hater. It's just crazy to me. I don't I don't get it. But that that's my stir of the day. And I'm not saying that I don't think LeBron could have not played in the NFL and he wouldn't have been successful. But for people like Doc Rivers to say that he would be the best football player ever is flat out laughable and disrespectful.
this will be the third segment or third part of our new segment of me speaking with a different fan from every single NFL team. And this week, we are now joined by one of my best friends, Justin Bowen. He is a Titans fan. And Juice, how, how long have you actually been a Titans fan? I've been a Titans fan for about as long as I can remember, man, honestly. Guessing about eight to ten years old, I became a Titans fan. And what, so. you're, you're 25 now, so almost 17 years, huh? Yeah, 25 now, yeah. So, like, 17 years. Pretty so solid. How, I mean... Why the hell are you a Titans fan? Well, I get this question asked a lot, actually. Um, as you know, the Titans used to be the Houston Oilers, and my dad was a huge Oilers fan, and when they moved to Tennessee, he moved with them. And I was an Oilers, I wasn't really an Oilers fan because I wasn't that old, but when they moved to Tennessee, I was just a Titans fan because my dad was, and uh, he slowly switched over when the Texans became Houston's team, and I just stayed over there with the Titans. So, Were there any reason you decided to stay a Titans fan when the Texans became a team? Were there like certain players there that made you want to stick around, or what, how did you decide, or I mean, what led you to do that? Honestly, man, I was, I was so young that I kind of... I, when when it happened and my dad was slowly into the Texans, I kind of jumped back and forth a little bit just because I wasn't I didn't really know what to do. But ended up, um, I think when Chris Johnson showed up to the Titans and he started doing what he did, I, I kind of stuck on the Titans because he was so fun to watch. And that team as a whole was so fun to watch. Absolutely. CJ2K is somebody you definitely enjoyed watching. I guess my one of my questions that I want to ask everybody when I, when I have them come on for this topic is, what's some of or one of your favorite moments as a Titans fan? Like that you've experienced watching your team or just something that's happened while you've been a fan? Last year, obviously, was pretty, pretty exciting as a Titans fan to watch. It's a pretty memorable season. But to go back, probably say... Uh, like Vince Young's rookie year was pretty pretty awesome because I mean he he was rookie of the year and uh, he was just really fun coming out of college really highly touted I think everybody was kind of glued because I was I was a Texas fan too I'm, well, I still am a Texas fan but him going from Texas to the Titans made it that much better specifically I remember I went to the game it was the Texans and the Titans game and it went into overtime and Vince Young had like a thirty or forty yard touchdown run to end the game and that was like super exciting for me. I was so happy going crazy at the game. But yeah, that, that's definitely got to be up as one of my favorite Titans memories. No, absolutely. I remember that game, like, honestly, like it was yesterday. I mean, I was a, I was a UT fan growing up, and I love Vince Young. And when he made his way back to Houston, played in his hometown, and busted out like you said, a forty-five yard touchdown run in overtime, it was just something to watch. Yeah. You know, with the draft just going on, I just want to get a couple thoughts. And what 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 do you feel like your team, or how did you feel like the Titans performed in the draft? Did they address some needs that they needed to? Did they reach on some picks? Or as a fan, just what do you think? Definitely think they filled needs for sure. We lost Conklin this offseason. I guess just recently since we drafted the cornerback, Logan Ryan's not coming back because we don't really have the space to sign him. But yeah, they got a, a tackle in the first round to replace Conklin, and they got a corner in the second round. So I, th- I definitely think they went for, for needs in the draft. Unlike years prior, where they were just kind of trying to rebuild the team because it was pretty bad when uh, when John Robinson and, and Mike Vrabel took over. It was pretty bad. So they uh, they did a really good job of rebuilding the team. But, yeah, I think this year they, they definitely went for needs. They're in pretty good position to win now, I'd say. so. I agree. And I think the, the Titans, you know, they were in a position to, you know, go best player available or fill a need. I think, you know, coming off of last year where they made it to the AFC Championship, they ended their season on a high note. And just as a fan – 
I know you're one of the more optimistic fans, but did you expect a season like last year could happen going into it? I mean, you had Marcus Mariota at the helm and he was unproven to say the least. And no one in the slightest thought by week six, Ryan Tannehill would take over. I mean, what did you think going into last season? What were some of your expectations? I'd like to first off start by it's okay if you can call me a biased. You can if you want to. I, <laughs> I mean, all fans are biased. That's why we're fans. All fans are biased a little bit, but yeah, um, I wasn't. I don't think I was quite expecting um, a year like last year because I, I was every year, man. I, Marcus Mariota was my guy. Like I was his biggest defender. And he started his career off so well, and then it just fell off a cliff. And every season going in, I was just expecting him to, to regain that form, his rookie season form, and show everybody like what he was drafted number two overall for. But obviously that didn't happen. So um, when Tannehill came in, I didn't really know what to expect. I definitely didn't expect what he did, that's for sure. Having a top five scoring offense under his under his reign, really just the team as a whole taking off like they did. But um, no, coming into the season, I definitely wasn't expecting what I saw that's for sure when you saw that you know they decided to make the switch over from Mariota to Ryan Tannehill did you think that that was a move that was going to help the team compete or was that kind of you know envisioned like the rest of the league that that was the Titans throwing their white flag in the air and kind of you know going the tank route what did what, what, what were your thoughts at the time well I, didn't, I definitely didn't think it was, a, it, was a, it was a tank move because for one Tannehill is not that bad of a quarterback and uh, number two the team around him like like I said said they've rebuilt this team like really really well over the last few years so i don't think the titans could like tank and win three games if they wanted to like if they tried to not saying they're just like the best team ever but i just think they're too talented to do that honestly like i said before i was the biggest mariota defender and i'm excited to go into the season every year with him but at that point in the season week six i was calling for Tannehill in like week four because it was just the same old story again man just Missed throws, missed checkdowns, like not getting rid of the ball. It was just bad quarterback play. And when Tannehill came in, I expected a little boost, but I didn't expect them to go all the way and make that run to the AFC Championship. Why do you think that when he took over, there was such a dramatic shift in play? I just can't really pinpoint a reason for why. Did Do you think just the teammates around Mariota didn't believe in him or was is Tannehill just a better leader? I mean, what happened? Well, I think, I think Mariota's teammates love him. Like I just like everybody. He's like the best guy in the NFL, but when you get a new face in the, in it's like in the starting squad, you're going to, it's going to give you a little boost and a little momentum, a little energy to play harder and be like, okay, let's see what Tannehill can do for us. And once, I mean, it got going, it, it started off a little slow, but once it got going, I think the whole team got behind him and like really thought they were, they were contenders because also, I mean, Tannehill's a little better than Mariota when it comes to quarterback. I mean, everything. He can move a little bit. He can uh, he can throw the deep ball really well. And he just, I don't think, I, I think he just doesn't miss the easy throws and the easy, the easy like check downs that Mariota would just miss Derrick Henry coming out of the backfield wide open all the time. And he's just inaccurate. But Tannehill as a whole, I think him putting, going in the starting lineup, it gave the team a boost and it was just better overall quarterback play. I agree. I mean, definitely Tannehill showed when he took over that, the Titans made the right decision. I mean, this is just the last thing I want to touch on, Mariota, just because I know how high you were. You may have or you may have not said he was going to be a future Hall of Famer. We won't we won't talk about that. But I mean, what what do you think were the key contributing factors to him ultimately 
not succeeding as the Titans franchise quarterback. Well, um, yeah, I was a proponent of Mariota being a Hall of Fame <laughs> quarterback. I will say that. Um, I mean, honestly, he had the talent too. But I would say the main thing um, about him was his his first few years. He had malarkey. He had five different coordinators in, in his first five years. Yeah. So that's tough. I think majority of quarterbacks you put in that type of situation are kind of bound to fail. You got a different guy in your every single season, and it's just it's tough, man. Like I said, his first year and or really his first two years, he was really solid, like really really solid quarterback, and then. He just fell off a cliff, man. And it wasn't because lack of talent around him. Because he had the offensive line. He had the run game. He had the receivers. He had Delaney Walker, who he loved. But, I mean, you could tell him and Delaney's connection was crazy. Because when Delaney went down, Mariota fell, like, bad, bad. But I think it was um, coaches not – I don't even – just consistency in coaching. And also, he had bad coaches, too, on the way. So, yeah, I think they kind of broke him. His fundamentals and getting told something different every single year kind of messed him up. No, yeah, that's tough. I mean, when you have to learn five new offenses, you know, in your short time in the NFL, no matter, like you said, the quarterback, no matter who you are, that's tough. That's a tough situation to flourish in. I mean, I could only imagine after after every single year you're coming into training camp with a new playbook on your desk and you're asked not only to lead your team, but to know that playbook just as well as a coach and a better than anybody else on that offense so just in case you had to explain it to someone else, you could. I mean, I know it's things like that, that when you're watching the game, you're you're just looking at talent and you're looking at the missed throws and the completed throws. But there's so much behind the scenes that goes on. I mean, it's just it's just really crazy to think about. And so many things can contribute to a quarterback not having success, like you said. Yeah, absolutely. And, and another thing is his first couple seasons in the league, he was getting beat up. Like he was leading the league and getting sacked. And and before Robinson came in and kind of overhauled the O-line, he was he was getting beat up. So I, it, it's kind of like a David Carr type of deal where David Carr came in. A lot of people think David Carr had the talent to be really good in the NFL, but he just got beat up so bad that it just it just turned sour really quick. So I think that's also another factor. You know, we, we've brought him up a couple of times, and he's the GM of the Titans. That's John Robinson. And could you just talk a little bit about who that is? I know you're a big proponent of him, and just explain to who he is to all the people that probably don't know. He was a, he was a Patriots guy. I think he was the um, director of scouting with the Patriots, one of those scouting positions. And then uh, he went to the Bucks for a year or two, and then he ended up on the Titans. Really, uh, I think he, his career-wise, his GM career kind of started in New England. So that's obviously a good place to start um, your growth. Absolutely. And he kind of he kind of brought that that culture and that toughness with him um, that he's not going to draft anyone or he's not going to sign anyone who's not going to work their butt off and who's not going to, you know, make him regret getting him, getting those players on the team. So it's, it's a big culture overhaul and it's, he's just, honestly, he's a really good scout, man. If you, if you look at the, the roster of the Titans the year before he came and look at it now, it's just like ridiculous what he's done. He drafted, he's drafted a bunch of really good players. He found Kevin Byard in the third round, drafted Derrick Henry when they had DeMarco Murray on the team and everyone was questioning why, why they would do that. And I mean, Look how it's paid off now. He's got A.J. Brown in the second round last year. I mean, he's a really good scout. And the big thing with with scouts and GMs is that culture you build is it's a it's a game changer, man. If you're like not trying to talk down on the Browns, but if you look at the Browns, they're like all over the place. They if it's a good player, they're going to go for him no matter what kind of duty is. And yeah, it shows on the field that they're just not everybody connects like that. 
Exactly. Immediately when John Robinson took over as the Titans GM, he brought three or four players from those Patriots teams over. I mean, Malcolm Butler, Logan Ryan, Dion Lewis. It was just a complete overhaul. And it's actually been pretty cool from the outside and looking to see how that culture has changed in the past couple of years to where teams, you know, and fans of the NFL kind of always took, I mean, sorry, but teams and fans took the Titans almost as a joke. You know, they really didn't look at them as a perennial powerhouse to compete. And now, I mean, you can't go into Tennessee or expect to play Tennessee and not get hit in the mouth. I mean, Derrick Henry's going to get the ball now. They finally figured out 20 times a game, and they're going to put him in spots to best best help the team. I mean, yeah. how fun is it every Sunday getting to watch Derrick Henry? Oh, man, it's, I can't even explain it, man. It's like going back to the Chris Johnson days, man. It, it was just, you knew when you sit down to watch the game at noon, you're just, you know you're going to get a show, man. You're, you're going to get a huge run or someone getting run over, embarrassed or whatever it is. And then right when you creep up to stop Derrick Henry, you get the play action, deep ball to A.J. Brown, man. It's it's exciting. It's really fun to watch. I'm, I'm happy they they turn things around in Tennessee because it was getting really hard to be in the fan <laughs> towards the end. Yeah, I agree. I mean, you had Jeff Fisher there for way too long and he just, he dug a hole that was going to take some time to get out of. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. <laughs> good old, good Jeff Fisher had some good nine and seven years. Yeah. Yeah. Just looking at the Titans, I mean, they made they made some big moves this offseason. They they lost a right tackle that's been there for the past three or four years in Jack Conklin. Like we said, they moved on from Marcus Mariota, who was a former second round pick or second overall pick and was your future franchise quarterback. And most notably to me, you guys lost a guy that was one of your best pass rushers for the past year and just a force on that interior defensive line. And that's Jarrell Casey. I think he's just a great pick player. And I think he's going to he's going to leave a hole that's quite frankly hard to replace. What do you what do you think about that? He was one of the few, like the very few guys that the new management and the new coach wanted to keep on the team just because he he showed that that culture and that toughness and that class that, that they saw. So. He was one of those guys. Delaney was one of those guys. But uh, Jarrell Casey, man, he was he was one of the f- very few bright spots on the Titans um, in, the, in the down years. He was he was a really good guy. He's, I mean, underrated, very underrated. Not a lot of people know about him. But he, interior, he can get to the quarterback. He can stop the run. He can do it all, man. He was, he was one of my favorites for sure. Oh, absolutely. He's a great player. Who's a free agent guy that the Titans add or someone in the draft that's not being talked about that you have high hopes for this year? We had we got a running back from Appalachian State in the third round. His name's Darrington Evans. I've heard a lot of good about him. He's he supposedly he's got that that burst and that speed. Also, I heard Chris, Greg Cassell talking about him. He said he can he can put moves together to make two or three guys miss at the same time. So I'm I'm really excited about him just having a little change of pace because Dion Lewis was we signed Dion Lewis and he was he was he was solid for us his first year here, but he. He didn't really do anything last year or show any any promise. But, yeah, I um, see him more as a receiving back. I'm not sure you give that guy like a good workload of carries. And I mean, he's a giant now, so and that's that's still how I feel. Yeah, and I mean, it, I, that kind of ignited Derrick Henry to do what he's done the last season and a half because Derrick Henry got benched for Deion Lewis for about six or seven games, and I think it, it lit a fire under Derrick Henry because he he wasn't producing either. So they put Deion Lewis in, and I mean, it wasn't anything spectacular, but it, it definitely lit a fire under him and, and, and got him going big time. Have there been any 
like more talks about Derrick Henry and the Titans coming to a long term deal? I mean, I don't. How, what, what what's the holdup? Well, I think they they franchised him, which he agreed to that, so that's a good sign. Um, I think they're working on they're working on a deal. I think they're anywhere close to in, like a deal or anything like that. They might just wait it out this season, see how it goes. Also, as you know, running backs don't really they're not really long term contract guys. It doesn't really work out too well. So, so let's say, let's say Derrick Henry wants a four-year extension and to be a top five paid back in the league. Are you on board with that? Um, I think it depends on how the contract is structured and, and the guaranteed money and how far it goes out. Um, I think the thing with Derrick Henry that people don't realize is his first two seasons in the league, he wasn't, the, he wasn't our, like our main bell cow back. It was DeMarco Murray. But yeah, Derrick Henry, he's got a, I think he's got a, he had a bunch of carries this year, but I think he's got a lot of tread left on the tires. But that two year just coming in, coming in as a complimentary back helps a lot, man. He also got a bunch of carries in college. So, but I mean, I think he's built for it. That guy's a freak, man. Six five, two fifty, or whatever he is. But I think he's built for it. He works really hard, like all, all season. I always see videos of him working. But yeah, I wouldn't mind, man. I mind keeping around. I'm not saying he's the best running back in the league, but I just—I've never seen anybody like that guy. His ability to just wear down the defense is something just to sit back and be in awe of. I mean, if if the Titans need to go into that four minute drill and just pick up a couple first downs and knock off some clock, he's the perfect back for that. And their whole revolution of who they were five years ago to who they are now, I think Derrick Henry has a lot to do with that. And the fact that they haven't paid him and like a lot of players came out this offseason and spoke about how the team took care of Tannehill and gave him the $100 million deal while the guy that was, at least from the player's point of view, most responsible for the wins didn't get taken care of by management. What do you think of that? I mean, like I said, it goes back to the, to the position. Like running back is... is- it's there's been multiple times where you see teams pay their running back and give them a nice long extension. I, I agree with back. that, but you got to look at it and say the Titans offense runs and revolves around Derrick Henry. Yeah, no, I, I agree a hundred percent, man. Like I said, I'd love for him to see, I'd, I'd love to see him get paid and stay in Tennessee. But I mean, obviously teams are going to take care of the quarterback first. Tannehill came in, won the starting job. He was patient before he did his job, won the starting job. And then, just excelled beyond all expectations. So, I mean, I knew he was going to get his money, but but like, I agree with you, man, 100%. I think Henry needs to get his money. But I think they're also going to see the wait and – they're going to play the wait and see game with Clowney because I think they have like 15 to 17 million in, in, in space right now, cap space. So that'll that'll probably change the structure of the contract if that does happen. We'll see, man. I'd, I'd, I'd love to see Derek back in Tennessee for the next four years. And I'm sure Ryan Tannehill would love to have him as well. I mean, there's no absolutely. denying that he makes his job easier. Yeah, no, absolutely. I don't think there's any way possible Tannehill has the year he has last year without Henry. I mean, you, you, we saw it in Miami. He can't. He's not a. He's not an Aaron Rodgers or a Tom Brady guy. He's not going to put the team on his back. He definitely needs some running back help. And like I said, Derrick Henry can do that. Man, he can wear down defenses, like you said. We saw it in the playoffs against the Pats, and then against the Ravens, where he just grown man like amongst boys. Man, it was it was fun to watch. It was really fun to watch him do that to the to the Ravens, especially because they were coming in as the favorite to win it all. You really had a remarkable run in the playoffs. I mean. You beat Tom Brady and the Patriots, you know, essentially ended his career as a Patriot. You went into Baltimore, beat the number one seed. Then you went into Kansas City and you just you guys 
it was a winnable game. You guys definitely could have won that, but I'm just not sure Ryan Tannehill is the guy to win that type of game. Am I wrong? I mean, no, I don't. I don't think you're wrong. I mean, he's obviously he's not the type of guy to keep up with Mahomes. But the way you're going to beat the Chiefs is you got to get turnovers. You got to run the ball really well against them. Yeah, which you got to really run. You got to. You have Henry to control the clock. You have to control. The yeah, clock. absolutely. And then I mean, we beat them in the regular season. And if you look at the stats, it's weird. It's kind of backwards if you look at them and thought, hey, they won this game and lost this game because their stats in the playoffs against the Chiefs looked a lot better. There was more sacks, more hurry, um, I think more turnovers. And then we had the ball longer than them in the playoff game. And in the regular season game, they killed us in time of possession. So it was kind of weird, man. I think you, the Chiefs are, are, are like a really, really good team. There's not one thing you can do to beat them. You just you just got to have a really good game. You got to have a couple balls bounce your way, and you got to play your you know what off. Because I mean, that's the only way you're going to beat those guys. Especially at the way they were playing, those guys they were the comeback kids all playoffs, and Patty Mahomes was just clearly on a mission to get to the Super Bowl. Yeah, and then like you said, we didn't get blown out by the Chiefs or anything. So I mean, it was a it was a really good game. We beat them in the regular season. We we played them tough in the playoffs. That's all I can really ask for, man. I'd I'd love to see them beat the Chiefs and go into the Super Bowl and beat the Niners because I I think we'd have a, a pretty good shot at beating the Niners in the Super Bowl. I think we're pretty similar. Yeah, I think um, you guys are very similar team build to to the Niners. Yeah, yeah. I think I think their D line was obviously a little a little better than ours because they got first rounders all across the D line. Um, I think they had a run game just like uh, Jimmy G wasn't tossing the ball around the park like any like crazy. Just like Tannehill. Tannehill, I mean. Yeah, Tannehill was, you know, putting up some crazy numbers. What was he completing, like eight passes a playoff game? <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, is that sustainable? Like said, is G, that sustainable? Jimmy G was the same thing, though. I mean, until the Super Bowl, Jimmy G won both games completing under 10 And I'm not passes, sure so. that's sustainable either. I mean, I know, and I, it's a core belief of mine, that defense and running the ball wins you games in the playoffs. But I still think you yeah. need a quarterback to pick up those third and eights and those third and twelves and go on that last two-minute drive. And Tannehill and Jimmy G still have to prove to me that they can do that. I agree. I agree 100%. Um, and it's like it's not like Tannehill had a horrible game against the Chiefs. He just didn't do enough. And most all quarterbacks don't do enough against the Chiefs. It's it's really hard to keep up with those guys when you're scoring when they're scoring points like they are. Man, they got all that speed and Patty Mahomes. Like I, it goes back to the pass rush too, man. We he was sitting back there just dancing and bouncing up and down, and he had that nice little run before halftime. I think killed our energy a little in that touchdown run and uh he's that guy's just a superstar man obviously he's going to go down as one of the best to ever do it so you're not going to find a lot of guys to be able to keep up with them but i do i do like Tana Hill. like i said if we have a, a couple more balls bounce our way a couple more calls come our way then i think it's a lot closer than what it was the one it ended what what record do you think the titans can finish up with do you think they're going to win the division i mean do you think they'll get in as a wild card? I mean, last year they got in as a wild card and still went to the AFC Championship, so that always doesn't matter. But well, I think I think part of the reason we got in just as a wild card last year was because Mariota started six games and he was two and four in those games. Uh, Tannehill, I think, was seven and three as a starter, so that'll that'll help us out a little bit. Also, I think the Texans took a step back. I I, I know Texans fans that tell me they didn't get worse this offseason, but it's just mind-boggling to me how you can think they didn't get worse when you lose 
obviously D Hop and DJ Reader, one of the best guys on your defense. Uh, Jonathan Joseph, who was, I guess, the second corner on that, but still second corner on the team he lost. Um, so yeah, I think I think we win the division. The Jags aren't going to win the division. The Colts, the Colts got Philip Rivers, which I like to move uh, to get a veteran guy, but he's he can't really move. They got a good old line, but I'm, I just don't see them winning the division with Philip Rivers. Uh, the Texans are our only threat, and and it's only because of the Sean Watson. We'll see, man. I'd like, but I think the Texans are our our only competition again, um, just because the Sean Watson. I think he can he, he puts the team on. Gotta the respect Sean. You gotta respect that guy, man. He makes plays every week, and it's like, how did he do that? Let's just write it in stone. Let me hear your predictions for the 2020-2021 season for your Tennessee Titans. <laughs> I'm going to say the Titans, based off what Tannehill did last year, I'm saying he can duplicate it. Well, that's but, what you're saying with this prediction. Okay, well, if he duplicates what he did last year, he didn't even have to duplicate Yeah, I just want it, your prediction. <laughs> okay, I think the Titans go 11-5, and five, win the division. Go to the Super Bowl and win the Super Bowl. Wow. Uh, yeah, wow. Is that biased? I mean, you were in the AFC title game last year to go up and, you know, advance to the Super Bowl and then declare yourself as a winner. Seems very fan-like, but I, I can't knock it because you were ultimately one game away from the Super Bowl. That's what I'm saying. You can't sleep on us, man. We're, it's, we're a well-rounded team. We don't have any weaknesses. If you get Clowney, that's obviously an upgrade. We already got Beasley, which, I mean, he's not a, like a world killer, but he can rush the passer a little bit, and that's what we need, I think, man. Got a couple young guys in the draft who I think are going to make a make an impact, so we'll see. I'm, I'm hoping hoping we can win the division and, and, and go to the Super Bowl and make some noise. Well, Juice, I appreciate you coming on the show, man. This was fun, brother. Absolutely, man. Thank you for having me. Um, just let me know. Anytime I'll come on and talk about the Titans or when in basketball season comes back. Yeah, we definitely do not need you to come on and talk about the Rockets. That <laughs> if that is one thing that we do not need. And I, oh I'll man, I can only opinion I, on the Rockets. I haven't I haven't unleashed my Rockets reins on this podcast yet, and I don't think anybody's ready for it. Uh, I'm waiting for it. I'm ready. I'm waiting for that that's gonna be a fun it's gonna be a fun listen well juice like i said man i appreciate you coming on the show buddy i hope you and your fam are doing all right during this crazy covid19 time yep same to you man i appreciate you having me no problem you be good man tell kenley i said hey and give her a hug for me (laughs) will do man That's just about going to wrap things up for us over here at Stir the Pot in episode six. I had a really fun time putting this episode together, getting to interview my guy Apex and Juice. I thought they came in with some quality stuff, good content and insightful and just a good listen. I thought they did really well. You know, I just wish that, you know, which we're getting a lot closer to actually today New York professional sports are allowed to return to their facilities. So it seems like I don't want to jinx ourselves. So I'm crossing my fingers when I say this. We're getting closer. We're getting closer to live sports. And we need it. It's been too long. I'm ready to watch a damn baseball game all nine innings. I haven't done that since I was 
playing Little League Baseball, but I'm so ready to do that. So I'm excited. Sports are coming back, at least for what it looks like right now. So hopefully we don't suffer a relapse or a, something to make us have to put this on hold because I'm ready. I need it. I know you guys need it. If you're listening and you made it this far, you need it. But to say that, I appreciate you guys for tuning in and listening the whole way to episode six. Like I said, if you ordered a shirt, thank you. And if you did, hit me up. I'll let you know how we can get that order to you. If you're in Houston, I got some figured out for you. And if you're in Dallas, you'll be lucky enough to have me drop it off. I'm just kidding. But guys, I appreciate it. And I'll see y'all next time. Blood, sweat, and tears, I done put a lot in You at the top, I'ma need the top spot then Pass the rock, have poor shots poppin' Bambino at the plate, I'ma have to call my shot then Breaking news, any league that you watchin' Pop culture, Mr. Green, got him flockin' Start a pot, start a pot, start a pot, start a pot then Start a pot, start a pot, start a pot then